Amen. Whew. I was just having a little moment there, me and God, my seat. Kids, by the way, there's kids ministry for up through preschool. Uh, if you're older than that, then you get to hang out in here with us this morning. God's good. Amen. Like I said, I was just having a little moment with the Lord in my seat there. Just overwhelmed with his goodness, with his faithfulness. Good. Sorry. <laughs> We've been through a lot these past couple years as a church. Things that I wouldn't have necessarily chosen to go through. And uh, I've never seen the faithfulness of the Lord more than I have in these last two years. He's so good. He loves us so much. Man, what a day to celebrate his faithfulness. Walking out of that tomb. Praise the Lord. Amen. Help me out here. Can I get an amen? All right, I'm going to get it together. Please turn with me in your Bibles uh, to the book of Mark, chapter 15. We're going to have these verses on the screen this morning as well. I don't know if anyone has some tissues at their feet or anywhere that you can help me out a little bit. Um, bring me one. So uh, anyways, I'm going to try to make it through this here this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 15 this morning. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it, brother. Whew. All right. Mark chapter 15. We're going to have these verses on the screen. Going to be nice to you this morning. Normally I make you uh, only look around long with me in your Bibles or your phones, which it's still good to do that, but we'll have them on the screen this morning as well. Man, this is not only Easter Sunday, not only a day to celebrate what the Lord has done, what He is doing. It's also the last week of our three-week series, which is all about the love of Jesus. And the premise of this series at the start was that we know that Jesus loves us, but we don't know how much Jesus loves us. And for many of us, our, our temptation is to think like, I know Jesus is loving, but I just don't know how much his love applies to me. Like, I think I'm a little bit too messed up. Like, my heart's a little bit too dark. I know that Jesus loves us in general. I don't know if we understand just how much that he loves us individually. He loves you just as you are right now. And this first week, just kind of by way of review here, we talked about the nature of Christ's love, meaning what does his look, love look like in action? What does it look like when we see it up close? And what we saw was this incredible truth, which is the opposite of what we'd expect. We'd expect that our sin repels Jesus away from us, but what we saw in God's word is that our sin actually draws Jesus toward us. Jesus says, I am the great physician. I did not come for those who think that they're well, I came for those who are sick. And so our sin actually draws Jesus toward us, and what we see is that he will, if we are in Christ, never cast us out, and praise the Lord for that. And then last week, we saw the cost of Christ's love 
for us. We saw just how much Jesus loves us in that he made the greatest sacrifice possible in giving up his life on the cross. And not only did he make the greatest sacrifice, but he did it when we deserved it the least. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And praise the Lord for that. But guess what, church? That's not where the story ends either, is it? It doesn't end on Good Friday. This morning, we're talking about the power of his love because it's Easter Sunday today. Jesus' life didn't end in that tomb. He died and he rose again on Sunday. And we're going to celebrate that in God's word this morning. So let's pray and then we're going to take a look at some of these things that happen that show us the power of his love for us. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. You are faithful. We're overwhelmed with your faithfulness to us sometimes, God. You are so faithful when we are not. We don't deserve your faithfulness, but it's who you are. Great is your faithfulness indeed. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. Praise you, God, for sending your son to die Thank you, Jesus. You willingly came and died and rose again so that the grave would be conquered. The last enemy, your word says, to be destroyed is death. We're going to live forever with you, God, because of what Jesus did on the cross and because his heart beats. Praise you for that, God. Lord, help us as we look into your word this morning just to see what you want us to see. God, this can only happen by your spirit. So guard my words as I preach, Lord. May they be your words and speak to us this day, this beautiful Easter Sunday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you uh, walked in here this morning, you saw uh, what was actually left over, we left it up from yesterday, if you weren't here yesterday, which was the empty tomb, and we kind of had a cool opportunity for everyone who came to walk in the tomb and kind of see generally what it might have been like and hear the story of the empty tomb. And we wanted to leave it up this morning because A, it looks really cool, and B, because it's just such a great reminder of what actually happened on Easter Sunday. Mark, do I need to switch? out my mic here are we okay we good we're just gonna roll with it okay if I cut in and out here we're just gonna roll with it sounds good can I get a thumbs up from everyone all right it's a good reminder of what actually happened on Easter Sunday you see there's a difference between Christianity and most other religions in that Christianity is a historical religion and what I mean by that is it's based on actual historical events. It's based on real things that happened in history. Other religions are more philosophical religions based on different ideas that people have come up with. But Christianity is different is that it's historical 
and the things that we celebrate really happens. When we gather on Easter Sunday, we don't do it. You all look so great, by the way, today, this morning. And, you know, I'm wearing my uh, sport coat here, too. I don't wear that very often. I'm not wearing jeans to preach. That doesn't happen most Sundays except for on Easter. And uh, what do we, why do we get all dressed up? Why do we get all excited about church on Sunday? It's not just like the tradition of it all. It's not the sentimental value. I know that you all, many of you are excited. You're going to be doing uh, family meals after this. And it's not necessarily about that. It's, uh, it, all of those things are great. But if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, like actually, like for real, if that didn't really happen, then all of this would actually be completely pointless. In fact, the Apostle Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. There have been some people throughout the years who have wanted to detach Christianity from the historical events that took place and say, well, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, but these are all good ideas anyway. And that's completely bogus. If Jesus didn't actually rise then my preaching is in vain, and your faith, our faith, is in vain. But if he did rise from the dead, and I believe that he did, I don't like to do many things in vain. I fully, with my whole heart, believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Then what we're celebrating this morning is the greatest thing to ever happen in the history of mankind, because what's so incredible about following Jesus is that it is a historical religion. Yes, it is based on historical facts, but it's actually much more than that. If it was just a set of facts, it wouldn't mean much. Christianity is not just a set of historical facts. It is a relationship. And that same Jesus who was actually dead in the tomb or near Jerusalem in 33 AD or thereabouts, that same Jesus actually wants to have a relationship with you. It's not this an idea. It's a reality. That same Jesus made you. That same Jesus loves you dearly. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the power that his love has. And we're going to look at two things that actually happened after Jesus died. Two things that happened in history, historical facts, but there are so much more than historical facts because they demonstrate the power of the love of God for us. And the first thing we're going to see is that the curtain was torn. We're going to talk about that, but look with me in your Bibles at Mark 15. We're going to start in verse 33. It says this. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry. And breathed his last. 
then look what happened next. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, look at his reaction. Seeing Jesus die on the cross, this was his response. Truly this man was the Son of God. Truly this man was the Son of God. And at the very moment that Jesus breathed his last breath, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, no less. And we need to understand a little bit about the temple to understand what this means. You see, there was a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And this is the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And this was the place where the presence of God dwelt. This was where God's presence was. It was like a cubic room, and there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, that separated God's presence from the priests who would be doing sacrifices at the Holy of Holies. So in fact, nobody was able ever to go in the Holy of Holies, or they would immediately die. Like being face-to-face with God's presence because of his holiness would bring them to instant death. There was only one time a year that anyone was able to enter into the Holy of Holies, and that was the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement was the day that the high priest of Israel would make sacrifices on behalf of his whole People. So the high, there were sacrifices that kind of different ones that happened daily and kind of like uh, a little more often, kind of weekly and monthly and yearly and all these things. So this is the one day a year when the high priest would offer sacrifices for his people, and he would do that by entering the Holy of Holies. In fact, they would tie a rope around his leg because if he went in there kind of in an unworthy manner, if he had unconfessed sin, if he went in there in a way that wasn't manner that wasn't worthy of entering the Holy of Holies, he would just die instantly, and then you couldn't go in and get him, or you'd have to start to have bodies piling up, right? So what they do is tie a rope around his leg and yank him out if he had died because he'd entered into the presence of God. But the point is that God's presence dwelt there, and it was separate from his people. God's holiness demanded that kind of separation, the kind of separation that was necessary because coming face to face with God, you would be met with instant death. And incredibly, the same problem back then that you couldn't be met with God face to face or you would die, that same thing is true today. We are in ourselves sinners. We sin. I love, I heard Alistair Begg say one time, another pastor, he said, every sin is an inside job, which I love. It means every sin, when I sin, I'm the one doing it. It's not like I sin and say, whoa, where did that come from? I have no idea what was up with that. Like, when I sin, I'm sinning. I am a sinner. Every sin is an inside job. We are in ourselves sinners. There's no outside excuse for our sin. And because of our sin, we too must be separated from a holy God. What's the solution? Then how do we fix that? How do we go from separation from God to relationship with God? Well, the answer is that another sacrifice needed to be made. A better 
sacrifice needed to be made. The animal sacrifices just couldn't do it. They needed to be made continually, time and time again. And they did not actually do any atoning for any sin. We needed the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, to be sacrificed for us. And he did that. And he paid that price. And when he did that, he opened up that road to God that all who believe may enter in. And what happened when Jesus died is that the temple curtain was torn in two as a sign that that separation is no longer necessary. Now we need to be very clear about what changed when the temple curtain was torn. There was nothing in God's nature that changed once the temple curtain was torn. God did not become less holy. God did not become more able to to abide with our sin. It wasn't God who changed. It was Jesus making the sacrifice for us. And Hebrews 10 tells us what happens now. I love this. It says, because of the blood of Jesus, we can have confidence to enter the holy places. Confidence. Imagine that. Going from tying a rope around the high priest's leg once a year because he's about to die if he's not exactly right with God and trepidation entering the holy places for that one man once a year to all of God's people the kingdom of priests now have confidence we can boldly enter the most holy place think about that and that is only because of what Jesus did. We can approach God with confidence because of what Jesus did on the cross. The curtain was torn in two so we can have fellowship with God. And we're talking about the heart of God in this series. We're talking about God's love for us. I love in this moment just how we see God's heart in all of this. Because when was the curtain torn? A couple hours after Jesus died, a couple days, a couple weeks. No. The moment that Jesus breathed his last breath, God himself takes that curtain and rips it in two. It's like he couldn't wait any longer, almost. It's hard to kind of say these things about God because our language doesn't necessarily help us. We just can't get there with our language. It falls short. But it's like he couldn't wait any longer for that fellowship. Like that separation is so clearly not something that he desired. He couldn't wait for that stinking curtain to be torn. He doesn't want to be veiled from his people. He doesn't want to be separate from his people. His holiness demanded that until the price was paid. But as soon as the price was paid, God said, I want fellowship. I want closeness. Think of it like this. Some of you have felt something similar to this. So raise your hand. I know that there are some of you in this room who had the unique experience of having grandkids born in the past year. Raise your hand if that's you, if you had grandkids. A, whole, a good number of us had grandkids born in the past year. And maybe what you would have normally done if there wasn't the pandemic and all the new rules in the hospital going on was that as soon as, maybe you would have been there for the birth of the baby, grandmas. Maybe that would have been you. Or maybe you would have gone just immediately after the baby's born, you're going to go right to the hospital. But things were different this year weren't they? And you couldn't go 
Some of you, your grandkids had some complications maybe, and, and you had to wait days and days or weeks or for other reasons, maybe kind of at the beginning of the pandemic, we just couldn't see anyone. It went months and months, right, where you couldn't see that grandbaby. You saw pictures. You got maybe the FaceTime, but grandparents, was that good enough? Was that good enough, grandparents? No. What'd you want to do? You wanted to hold that stinking baby. What'd you do when you got the phone call? We're heading home from the hospital. We want you to come over and meet your grandchild. All right, let me finish loading up the dishwasher. I'm going to put the, the laundry in. I'm going to mow the lawn. I'm going to go run some errands. And, you know, maybe, you know, actually, today's not good. Let me wait. Maybe, maybe tomorrow we can make some time. Nope. Is that what you did? You said, all right, we're getting in the car and we're going, and I'm going to hold that baby. And our love for our children, our grandchildren, is like this muddled mirror compared to the love that God has for his children. Imagine that. Our love isn't perfect. There's some selfishness and sinfulness wrapped up even in the purest expressions of our love. But God's love for his people is pure and perfect, and he loves you even more fiercely. And when Jesus died, that curtain was torn immediately because he wants fellowship. He wants that closeness with you. Yes, you. You. That is the heart of the Father. God took that curtain and ripped it in two and said, you're mine now, my precious child. That's the power of his love for you. You know what? We just can't get our minds around it. Like, it's not because you're that special. You're not giving God anything that he didn't already have without you. And yet still we see his love here, fierce and perfect and for you. God loves you. The curtain was torn so that you can have fellowship and relationship with a holy and just and perfect God who loves you very much. A God who sacrificed his son so that he could have relationship with you. And when I say he wants relationship with you, I mean he wants relationship with the entirety of you, the totality of you, everything that makes you you. We want to just put together the nice-looking parts, don't we? The things that we think are presentable to God and give him those and hide back the other stuff. No, God wants it all. He wants every single part of you. And that curtain was torn in two so he can have fellowship with you. So church, don't hold back. Don't hold back from the love of your father. Baby grandparents, the first time you held that baby, it just snuggled right up to you. Maybe the first time you held that baby, it started screaming, right? It said, get me out of their arms. I don't know. God wants relationship with you, so don't push him away. Come to the Father. Bring all of yourself, all of you to him. He wants it all. He loves it all. That's the power of his love. It's tempting to think if God really knew what was true of us deep down, he wouldn't love us like that much. But that's not how God works. He wants all of you. And so give yourself to him. Romans 12 tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. We don't make the blood sacrifices anymore of animals because Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. And so our response is to present ourselves, our lives, as living sacrifices to God. He tore the curtain so he could have fellowship with you. So don't hold back. Offer yourself to him. Amen. Well, the curtain being torn 
It's a miracle. It wasn't the only miracle that took place that weekend, is it? Easter Sunday was coming, the day that Jesus rose from the grave. So keep reading with me. I'm going to continue on in verse 42, Mark 15. And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taken him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? How are we going to get in there? I realized they didn't have to. Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Some of the seven best words in all of the Bible. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Imagine your heart leaping at that moment when he says, you're going to see him. Not dead like you thought when you came to dress his body. You're going to see him alive. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, understandably so. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. He is not here. He is risen. On Friday, he was crucified, buried. On Saturday, his body lay lifeless in the tomb, his heart stone cold and stopped. And on Sunday, the third day, his heart began to beat. His blood began to flow. He breathed in. He breathed out. He's word and flesh once more. He took off his burial clothes. He didn't need them anymore. In fact, nobody needed them anymore. And his death brought forgiveness to all who believe, and his resurrection conquered death once and for all. He rose so we can have eternal life with God. If you believe in Jesus, the Bible tells you you are united with Christ. It says you've been united with that Christ in a death like his, and you'll be united with him in a resurrection like his. You are united with Christ. It's just kind of a fancy way of saying, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to live forever with God. You've been united with him in his resurrection. Your resurrection took place as his took place. 
This is the power of the love of Jesus. In him, whoever believes in him will be made alive. Death no longer has the final say. Christ was victorious. Revelation 21 tells us what's going to happen in the end. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Because of the cross, we can have peace with God. Because the curtain was torn, we can have fellowship with God. And because Jesus Christ literally, physically, bodily, actually rose again from the grave, we can have eternal life with God. And I wonder, maybe this is your first time hearing this. Maybe your first time hearing it where you're really understanding what it means. Maybe you've never known how much Jesus loves you. Maybe you've just never heard this message before, how fiercely and powerfully and wonderfully God the Father and Christ the Son love you. Maybe before now you've only ever thought of God as being just angry or disappointed or hating you. Maybe you've had just a bad experience with your own father here on earth that's just kind of clouded your ability to see that any father can love you, much less God the Father. And if that's you this morning, you're here if you've just never known this, and I just want you to hear it. I want this to be the message that rings out in your ears as you walk out of this place on your way to your family brunch or gym dandy or wherever you're going. Like, I want this to be the message that's ringing through your ears, that Jesus loves you. If you don't know that until now, then I just have a question for you. And that question is simply, what is your response going to be to the love that Jesus has with you? Because I just want to get real with you for a minute, if you will permit that for me. Which is that I can sense, I think, that there might be some who are feeling just a little bit convicted. Maybe you haven't heard this before. Maybe you're starting to feel a little bit convicted about your life. And there's a response that you can have to this message that would actually be the worst possible response that you can have. And that response would be, man, I really need to get myself together. I need to get my act together. I need to shape up. And starting now, I'm going to change some things in my life. Starting now, as I move forward, like things are going to be better. I'm going to do things differently. Like starting this moment, like I'm going to fix my life up. And that is the worst possible response that you can have to the gospel message because the whole gospel message is that you can't do that. Your best efforts are only going to mess everything up worse than they were before. Your best efforts to fix things your way, to do it your way, rather than God's way, that's going to mess things up worse. I actually learned this lesson the hard way about thinking that my way to fix something was the best way. When Emily and I were just married, we were living in Upland, Indiana. We were both working at Taylor University, and uh, we got a rental house in Upland, and uh, there was a wood-burning fireplace in this rental house, which we were really excited about. We like to burn fires, and uh, we were excited to use it, but there was a whole bunch of ash, like, piled up, like, mounded up in it, and so Emily had asked me probably several times, knowing myself, and she probably asked me several times to scoop some of this ash out. We had, like, the little fireplace tools and scoop it out into a trash bag so we can use this fireplace. And so I didn't want to do that. 
thought, why do a job in 20 minutes when I can do a job in 20 seconds? And I had seen there was a shop vac in the garage, and I thought, I'm just going to use this shop vac instead and going to show her. And so I bring it inside from the garage and plug it in, and it's going, and I'm feeling good. I'm, you know, everything's getting all cleaned up in the fireplace, and it's looking brand new. Like, this thing hasn't looked this good in years, probably. And I'm getting all, every last bit, you know, going up, and it is spotless in there. And I turn around, and I realize I didn't have the right filter in the bag, and I had just been blasting ash into our house, and I do not kid you, I could not see my hand in front of my face. Emily was around the corner washing dishes at the sink, and when she turned around, she screamed. She thought the house was on fire, and that was the only, honestly, the only response you could have. So we put our shirts over our faces, you know, and go outside and wait for it to settle. And I tell you what, we lived in that house for a year, and no matter how many times we vacuumed, no matter how many times we wiped the walls down, there was still ash. You just kept swiping your finger, and it was still there. I'm sure it's still there to this day, actually. And I thought I was going to fix it my way. And boy, it looked good for a minute until <laughs> I turned around saw what I'd done. It's just it's the gospel. You cannot respond to the gospel by saying, all right, I need to do better. That is the exact antithesis of the gospel message. You cannot do better. You will make everything worse. It might look good for a minute, but you can't fix it. You need the blood of Jesus. You need his forgiveness. You need to give yourself fully to him. Come to Jesus. Isaiah 55, verse 7. I love this passage. It's just really hit me in a new way this week. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So you can't follow Jesus if you don't recognize that the first part of that verse is you. Let the wicked forsake his way. Everyone apart from Christ is wicked. Everyone who's following Jesus in this room has recognized at one point in their life, I am the wicked man. I am the unrighteous one. So what happens? What should the wicked and the unrighteous do? Isaiah tells us, let, us, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You catch that? He will abundantly pardon. Not he might. Not unless you've done things too bad. He will abundantly pardon. And what I love about this passage is the next verse. Because it's almost as if God is anticipating our objections to that. What do you mean you will pardon? What do you mean you will have compassion? I am wicked. I am unrighteous. How can you do that, God? How can you forgive me, the answer, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I've heard this verse a hundred times in my life, and I never knew the context. I always thought it was just about like God's plans are different than my plans. This is talking specifically about how we cannot forgive other people in the same way that God forgives us. See, our hearts are naturally wired to be unforgiving. Our hearts are naturally wired to hold grudges. 
Our hearts are naturally predisposed to anger, and we have to be provoked to forgiveness. It's not that we don't forgive, but our first response in our heart is unforgiveness. We have to be provoked to forgiveness. God is the exact opposite. God's natural disposition is toward forgiveness. And the Bible tells us sometimes he is provoked to anger, but his natural disposition is forgiveness. God, how can you forgive me? God, I would never be able to forgive someone who's done to me what I have done to you. And God says, well, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm different. What we do is we put our wiring on God and we say there's no way God could forgive because I know in my heart I couldn't. God says my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Will he eventually pour out judgment on everyone who doesn't believe? Yes, he will. And that should provoke fear in us he will but if you're hearing this right now he hasn't yet and his desire his heart his longing is for you to come to him to bring all of who you are to him Jesus's love is so powerful so don't respond to that love by saying I'm gonna fix things on my own you can't you're gonna mess it up Come to Jesus and admit your sin and ask for his forgiveness. And the natural disposition of his heart is that he will pour out his compassion on you and he will pardon all that you have done and all that you will do. Praise the Lord. In just a few moments, the worship team is going to come up and play a song called Is He Worthy? It's a beautiful song talking about the worthiness of Jesus to do all that he's done and to be worshipped. And as they play this song, I'm going to ask that you just kind of either sit or stand, whatever you want to do, but just contemplate the words. And if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do something. We actually don't do this very often around here, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to come forward in front here and just kneel at any point up here and just kneel before the Lord and ask for his forgiveness and praise him. And ask him to come into your heart and into your life. What a day to do that. There's nothing magic about coming up here. There's nothing that you can't do in your seat that you can do up here. But you know what? Just like the curtain was torn as a physical sign of God's fellowship. I think it's good sometimes to have a physical sign that says, I'm going to come forward and lay my heart down before the Lord. You might be worried about what people think of you, I promise. <laughs> we'll be overjoyed. Maybe you're here this morning and you do know the Lord. We're coming to the end of this three-week series here and you're just thinking like, I just missed it with God's love. Like, I just missed it. I haven't seen it. God, I confess to you, I've been completely blind to these things. And if that's you, if the Lord's just working on your heart and you want to come forward and just offer yourself to him anew. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice to him. Again, I think today would be a great day to do that. So as we listen to this song, 
either seated or standing or, or kneeling in your seat, whatever you want to do. But as you feel, listen to this song and listen to the words of this song, if you feel the Lord working in your heart, I would encourage you to be obedient. That is the Lord working, I promise. And I would encourage you to be obedient and to come forward and to get your heart right with him.